This is the Hockey Podcast Network, your home for hockey talk on every team in the NHL. Hey, that's me. Before Hole Forwards. Hello and welcome to Blue Notes, your hockey podcast network home for your reigning, defending, undisputed champions of the world and will be for quite a while because this damn thing's not going to end, St. Louis Blues. I'm your host, Tom Franklin, joined as always by Wags. Uh, we're going to go down our uh, bracket of our own, the before Brett Hall era of forwards, and uh, this is going to be episode number 52. Or, as I like to call it, the Gila Point and Doug Harvey episode of Blue Notes. Why those two? Well, the Blues did not have a number 52 in their team's history. But Gila Point wore number five and Doug Harvey wore number two. So, we're gonna. this is going to be a Hall of Fame episode here. A double Hall of Fame episode here, Wags. Lots of pressure on us, apparently. <laughs> I guess so, yeah. And we're going to be talking about some players, too, uh, in our bracket of the before Hall forwards that went on to become Hall of Famers more for their exploits away from St. Louis, though. <sighs> Such as being a Blues fan. Uh, but first of all, uh, we're going to, uh, before we get to that, we'll run down the results of our goaltender brackets. Had some close matchups here. No 50-50 ties this time, but a couple that got pretty close and ones that we thought might have been uh, pretty close. So we'll uh, break that down for you here as well. Uh, and then just one uh, little uh, uh, Blues signing note. I, I guess it's not a little one, although he is only five foot ten. Um, Scott Perunovich. The man that I begged the Blues to sign has indeed agreed to terms with the St. Louis Blues. And I am careful how I am wording that because I guess he doesn't officially sign depending on if there still is going to be a remainder of the season or if we're just going to go right to 2021. Um, kind of an interesting deal, Wags. And I guess I guess um, Doug Armstrong had to get approval from the league to make this happen, but a pretty smart move. Oh, yeah. I mean, you, you knew you had to lock him up with everything going on right now. The, the timelines for when guys had to sign might have gotten screwed up, so they really wanted to try and just nail this down as quickly as possible. It gives them the ability, if they are to return to play this year, to have him be a part of the team, which would be yeah. huge. Um, be a really, really cool thing to have. But at the very least, you've got him locked up for next year. Uh, and, and that's exactly what they were trying to do. Everything it sounded like from even back on draft day was he wanted to sign with the Blues. Yeah. And the, the, one of the tweets I had uh, seen was that uh, you know he basically got off the phone with his agent or got off the phone with the Blues and turned to his agent and said, let's get this done. And a couple of days later, he's locked up and ready to go for the Blues whenever that may happen. Yeah, exactly. And it just, I think it shows a lot of confidence in Perunovic by the organization to say, hey, if there is going to be, you know, the remaining 11, 12 games of the season, you're going to be on the team. You know, that's, you know, that's basically the idea. 
And uh, it kind of goes to show you the kind of prospect that Prunovic is to have a Stanley Cup winning team, a team that is gunning for another cup, say, okay, you know, we're taking you straight from University of Minnesota Duluth. You're in this one. You're in for the ride. Let's go. Um, you know, he a lot's been said about his size. Yes, he's only 5'10", 175. But the guy's a producer, and he's a Hobie Baker Award finalist, uh, over a point-per-game guy in college, and seems to have all the makings of, again, as we talked last episode, you know, his top comp seems to be Tory Krug of the Boston Bruins, another smallish defenseman that is still an offensive force, is a very sound offensive defenseman. And Perunovic, they, you know, despite his size, you know, he's not a wimp. You know, he doesn't shy away from contact. He is one of those guys kind of like, kind of like a Vince Dunn where, you know, even though Vince Dunn's not the biggest guy, uh, Wags, he's always in the mix. So uh, I'm excited about this kid. Oh, I'm very excited. And you talk about uh, him jumping straight into the NHL from college. It shows a lot of uh, success that he's had and, and the Blues really, you know, value that. And, you know, there's a couple other guys, you know, Quinn Hughes and, and uh, Kale McCarr both jumped in right from college as well. Uh, so there's precedent for a guy to come in, but not precedent for a guy jumping onto a Stanley Cup winning team uh, to get into the lineup as quickly as he possibly could. Uh, but yeah, you talked about his offensive ability. I mean, he led the league in scoring as a defenseman. Like that just does not yeah. happen. It, no, doesn't it doesn't happen. It's very rare for, for, for someone to, you know, play defense and then still be among the, you know, college leaders in scoring. It is, it is an incredible feat. And it's just a sign, I think, of the uh, talent to come. You know, I'm just, you know, I think I said it last episode and I'll say it again. I, I'm just envisioning a Blues future on the left side of defense with Dunn, Prunovich, and Scandella. Uh, I think I think a lot of Blues fans will be very happy with that. And on the right side, I mean, you still hopefully have Petrangelo uh, coming back. You still have Pareko. Uh, like it or not, you still have Justin Falk for you know at least until the Seattle draft. Um, although it's interesting, I, I our, our friends at the uh, Two Guys One Cup podcast brought up something uh, on Twitter, and I guess there's some talk that the NHL might actually lower the cap because of this whole outbreak thing. And I think there's and, and there's been some speculation already. I mean, this is the, I mean I I'm not sure exactly where this originated. But there's been some talk about, okay, if the Blues have to, you know, if I mean, forget re-signing Petrangelo, I mean, they still have to, but you're going to have to buy out someone. And yeah. it's, 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 I think there are some interesting decisions coming up here for the Blues. Maybe this is Alex Dean's last year as a Blue. It's very possible. I mean, I did see that uh, this morning as well that, you know, they're talking about because of the lost revenue that instead of the projected capital was going to be now it's going to be a little bit lower. Yeah. Uh, I mean, obviously you won't know that until, you know, things kind of become official. You know, they still haven't officially canceled the season or the playoffs or anything like that. Uh, So, I mean, they could still make all this up and be good. Uh, But if that's the case, yeah, you got to look at a guy like Alex Steen uh, who has played well. Uh, You know, obviously he's not playing at the level that his contract dictates but no. we knew that we knew that was going to happen at some point i mean all these big time contracts you would see the same thing maybe with petrangelo if he does sign long term and yeah. you're the end of the contract maybe not living up to it but you're rewarding past success in some instances and what steen has done for this blues team in the course of his career merits him getting that amount of money but yeah, yeah. steen would be the guy 
Um, I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, as much as you hate to say it, uh, you know, a David Perron might be a guy that they look at as Ooh. well as far as cost is, co- is concerned. Yeah. Not saying that he's not worth it and what he's once again brought to this team. But if you're if you're looking to shed salary, I mean, you're not going to you're not going to buy out a Schwartz. Uh, no. As much as his price tag is higher, you're, you're not, not going to buy, buy out. Shen. No, you're not going to buy those guys out. So you have to look at the veterans that are going to be bought out. And a guy like Steen or a guy like Perron might be an option. Uh, I don't think See, it'll happen with Perron, but I, I think it'll be Steen. I don't think it'll be Perron just simply for the fact that he already is one of the best value forwards in the NHL right now. And he's got a good contract. I don't think he would go. I think a guy like Tyler Bozak, honestly, might be an option. You know, Bozak is, you know, I mean, he, he's he been a kind of like, I put him in the same category as Steen, you know, maybe doesn't quite earn his contract, but he does provide value. I mean, he was playing, I, I you know, during at various points of the season, they were talking Selkie for Bozak because he was playing that good on defense. Uh, but he is kind of, you know, a guy that you kind of tend to forget about on this team, quite honestly. I mean, he does not grab any headlines whatsoever. He is not a particularly like, you know, social media, you know, legend, you know, like a Bennington is or anything like that. You know, he's just he's just a very uh, he just he's just a good guy. Uh, and, you know, he was you know, he was a good leader in Toronto for a lot of years. But he, uh, you know, he's he's under 35. He makes five million for one more year. Uh, I think they they're I don't know what the cap friendly numbers would be on a buyout for him, but I think they'd be favorable I brought up Jake Allen just simply because of his, I mean, it's not, and this would not be a knock on his performance. It's just a knock on his contract. Um, although my friend, one of my friends uh, kind of pointed out that I think they would try to trade him first, if at all possible. And I think they might find a taker for him. Um, so we'll see what happens there. Um, I, I hope this is all just putting the cart before the horse because uh, one thing in the like Major League Baseball and the MLBPA just kind of came to an agreement, you know, about the season and you know how you know you know this when it comes to start times and service time and things like that. And I, I still think there's probably a discussion that still needs to be had between the NHL and the NHLPA, you know, as to okay, do we just roll over contracts for next season? I mean, it, it just, I think there's still a lot to be decided as to how just finances is going to work in this new COVID-19 world that we live in. Um, and hopefully we don't have to uh, have to see the Blues make some tough choices, including letting Petro walk. Yeah, it, it's going to be tough. I mean, at least as far as baseball is concerned, they were kind of at a, a semi-advantage because their season hadn't started. So it's not like they had you know, started paying guys and then all of a sudden it's now you're not having to because the season stopped. The NHL, NBA are both in that spot where they've paid a majority of the salary for this year. So yeah. what do you do? Do you roll the remaining part to next year, add it to what you do? I mean, there's just so much that has to be talked about and you can't do anything until you decide what you're doing with the season. And until we hit the bottom of this whole you know, outbreak, we really don't even know. I mean, you, you talk about cases just continuing to, to grow and grow and grow until that rate is slowed. You can't even make a decision on what you're going to do for this season, let alone next season. And it's nuts. And you talk about buyouts, you know, 
Tyler Bozak being one of them, I, I really don't want to lose Molly, to be honest. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I know. I But maybe Tyler's a guy that he could still, like, re-sign for, like, a smaller figure, maybe. I mean, I, I, I don't know, honestly. It's all speculation. Like, I'm... I'm imagining a world where Petrangelo decides, you know what, the story isn't done. I'll sign a one-year bridge deal at a re- reduced cap hit just to be a good captain, a good teammate. Now, that's that's wishful thinking because he he's not getting any younger. You know, he's he's approaching 30. That's been the whole issue with giving him an eight-year deal is, you know, how long do you what him you think he'll how good do you think he'll be at age 38? So if you're talking about adding years to his next big deal, I I just don't know. Uh, that that's something for Doug Armstrong and uh, Petro's agents to sort out. All we can do, really, and and this is this and means so much nowadays. Is all all we can do is just sit here and speculate. Pretty much and, and wonder. And the one good thing going for Petrangelo and the fact that you know he could play in the year 38 is the fact that he's really kind of avoided injury. Yeah, um, you know it, it's been one of those things that he hasn't never really put him himself in a position to be injured. Uh, knock on wood, and anything else around you that you know you're voodoo related, uh, but but he really hasn't <laughs> he hasn't had to deal with that, and that uh, allows you. I mean, you look at a guy like Nick Lidstrom, who played for as long as he did. He for the most part avoided injury, and he kept himself out of those situations where he could get hits or be in a position to be injured. He lasted as long as he did. I could see Petro being along that same lines of. Being productive, being healthy, and being someone that can play to the age of near forty, and and be worth the price that you'd be paying him. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, we'll see what happens. I mean, this 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 whole virus thing has to play out. I mean, um, we'll just see. I mean, I mean, all we can do is sit here and speculate, and sit here and speculate on NHL twenty games that the St. Louis Blues like to simulate on. Now, I didn't want, I mean, this is Sunday when we're recording this. I didn't have a chance to watch Sunday's game. You did, Wags. Uh, uh, what happened? Break uh, break that down for us. Well, they played Minnesota today. Uh, okay. it's one of those, it was one of those quick sim kind of games. They went up 2-0 in the second period. Looked like they were going to have this game well in hand. And all of a sudden, Zach Parise scored when uh, you know they forgot to back check on, uh, on a guy wide up in front of the net. You know, typical blues. Um, then uh, they ended up, uh, the Wild ended up tying it in the third period before Schwartz put the Blues up. Schwartz put the Blues up 3-2 on the power okay, play. Good. Six and a half minutes to go. You're like, cool, cool, cool. You got Bennington and net. Things are going great. Uh, you know, Snoop Dogg was at the uh, second intermission, you know, doing his thing, oh, which great. was awesome. Um, Fantastic. Yeah, wonderful. But uh, Kevin Fiala ended up tying it up late in the third period when uh, David Perron was late on, you know, covering him in front of the net. Uh, once again, another issue the Blues had to deal with. Yes, yes. Uh, but the game ended up going into overtime. Uh, Blues actually had a power play at the beginning of overtime as Parise was in the box. Uh, they were unable to capitalize. Team kind of went back and forth, a couple chances here and there. But uh, about about a minute and a half to go in the overtime. Uh, Blues won a face-off draw in the Minnesota zone. Petrangelo took the puck, fired it low over Dubnik, and uh, won in overtime. So it was a uh, three-to-two victory, or a four-to hold on, a uh, four-to-two victory, or a four-to-three victory. I apologize. Four-to-three victory. Yep. Four-to-three. Uh, yeah. You and, can't and, go you know, in overtime and score two goals. And you know, people like to give EA a lot of crap, and a lot of it's deserved. I mean, we're, I mean, we're, we're, we're dealing with it ourselves. We'll talk about that here in a little bit, but. Uh, I, I got to admire EA for getting the Blues tendency to blow third period leads down perfect, nicely done EA. I mean, they they know the Blues. They they know this team loves to piss away two goal leads in the third. <laughs> that and you know they still had trouble getting out of their own zone too, which 
is another typical blue uh, tendency. Save us, Scott Prunovich. Save us. <laughs> All right. So, uh, and, and by the way, I as, as, as I kind of alluded to, and I think I teased the last episode, but now we are up and running on this. Uh, we have a gaming channel on the Hockey Podcast Network, and we're doing video game-related stuff. We have started the uh, Hockey Podcast Network's Goon Line, and uh, I'm a part of it. Wags is a part of it. Uh, we are joined on ice by Shane Ryan of our uh, Senators and Devils podcast here on the network. Uh, Bayou Benders uh, pops in and out. He's in the process of moving, so he hasn't joined us very much lately. Uh, Michael Farley thinks he's a goaltender, but uh, we don't actually allow him to play goalie online. Uh, he's, of course, uh, on our Dallas podcast. You've heard him on this program before. And Mason Dixon of the uh, from uh, Habs Nightly podcast. Uh, we are all playing on NHL 20 in uh, World of Chell, and uh, we've been uh, we had our first. I mean, we've been streaming offline for the most part. We had our first like on streaming run uh, the other night here, and uh, I would say I mean we're still kind of. I, I think it's fair to say we're still kind of finding our chemistry a little bit, but we're not doing bad. No, not not at all. I, mean, I haven't played, to be honest. I haven't played NHL in a couple of years, so yeah. to be to be jumping back on and going right online to play other people has been a has been an experience. Uh, but it's been a lot of fun. Uh, nice to be able to kind of converse and interact with people from across the country and that still that just love hockey. Uh, so it's it's been yeah. a lot of fun, and I can't wait till we get to really put this out there. So yeah, so we're what we're doing for the moment. Uh, we are. Uh, the other night we streamed on a couple different platforms. Going forward, uh, you can follow our Twitch streams at HockeyPodNet. I was doing it on my own account, but I changed it to HockeyPodNet. So, uh, you know, synergy there. Uh, Twitch.tv slash HockeyPodNet. We're also on Mixer. Uh, Shane Ryan streams on his end, on his account there, RulyJoker97. Uh, we'll tweet all these stuff, this stuff out later. Uh, so you can join us whenever we're streaming. Follow us, subscribe, so that way you're notified when we're streaming. Uh, we'd love to have you aboard, do some interaction with you, maybe some giveaways in the future. We'll uh, uh, we'll we'll see what happens there. The big thing, though, is we're not alone when we stream. Uh, we are also joined uh, offline, I guess, by Hockey Troll of the Caps Chirp podcast, uh, Andy Hammond of our New York Rangers podcast, the Broadway Boys. And also Grant from the Hungry for Hawks Talk podcast. They commentate our games offline. And uh, starting this Thursday, we are going to have the Thursday night game on the Hockey Podcast Network uh, YouTube channel. So follow that. uh, Find it at the Hockey Podcast Network on YouTube. Uh, The Thursday night game, 7 o'clock Eastern Time. Uh, we will be brought. We will be sharing with you our goon line games, commentated by hockey troll Grant and Andy Hammond. And this is either going to be the greatest thing ever, or it's going to be absolute bollocks swags. Either way, it's content, and people love train wrecks. So if it turns out to be horrific, people are still going to watch because they want to see what uh, what train wrecks look like. So either way, it's going to be a lot of fun, and there's going to be content, so you can actually talk about and- hockey. And there is a there, and there will be hockey that you can watch on Thursday nights again. That's a big night for hockey during the week. I missed the Thursday night game. You missed the Thursday night game. We're gonna try to bring that back to you on Thursdays, maybe more depending on what we do here. But we let's we'll start it off on Thursday this coming Thursday, 7 p.m. Eastern. Follow and like the Hockey Podcast Network on YouTube. 
and uh, be a part of the action. It's going to be fun, guys. It's going to be really fun. So, um, all right. We are going to go ahead and uh, run down your fan vote now on a bracket of our own. We just did the goalies brackets a week earlier. We did the defense bracket, so check out our last episode for the results on that. But for the goaltenders, Wags, how did things shake out? Uh, for the most part, the ones that we thought were going to you know, be absolutely dominant were Jordan Bennington, 100% victory over Greg Millen, Curtis Joseph, 100% over Manny Legacy, Grant Fuhrer, 100% over Rick Wamsley, uh, Brian Elliott, 91-9 to over Chris Mason, uh, Mike Liute, 82-18 to over Chris Osgood. Uh, Jake Allen was actually a 75 to 25% winner over Roman Turk, which I'm not surprised by that, but it, it still is a little bit higher than I thought it was going to be. Yeah. Uh, so that one is a, a pretty close result, but the, the two that we thought were going to be close were close. Yeah. Uh, you had the seven ten matchup between Yarrow Halak and Brent Johnson. Uh, that was ending up a 58, 42% victory for Yaroslav Halak. Uh, that's yep. the, we, we picked Halak to win that one as well. Although uh, Brent Johnson was leading that one for a while. I think, I think Halak had the rally to, to win that one. And that just kind of, it kind of goes to what I was saying, Wags. I think history has forgiven Brent Johnson a lot. I think it has. I think it, it has. It, I mean, it, looking back at what when he played, definitely. Yeah, I mean, if, if this if this bracket was done like in 2011, for instance, uh, Halak blows Brent Johnson out of the water. It's not even close. No question. No question whatsoever. And then the uh, final matchup, the closest one of them all, was Jacques Plant versus Glenn Hall. Uh, Glenn Hall ended up winning 55 to 45 percent. So it was close. And I think the arguments made on both sides really, really drove that vote to be as close as it did. It was ingenious by you to pair those up because, I mean, it, it's it's a question I don't think has been asked a lot from Blues fans. I mean, who truly was the better goalie? Because I think we do look at Hall and Plant as kind of one and the same. And, you know, you really have to. That's a matchup where you really kind of have to look into their numbers and determine what you value. I mean, Plant's numbers were better short term, but Hall played for the Blues longer. Um you know, and and it's just and, and and you can kind of look at their careers a little bit. I think Plants was a little better, but you know they're both Hall of Famers. They're both legendary goalies, and it was just I was really interested to see how that would shake out, and I think it shook out about what I expected. I picked Plant personally. You could not have gone wrong with Hall. No, you can't. I mean, like you said, both Hall of Famers. When you think of the Blues in their early years, it was Plant Hall. It, you don't. You didn't really separate the two. And, and to be perfectly honest, until we had the conversation and started looking deeper, I didn't realize that you know Plant didn't play for the Blues as long as Hall did. Yeah. My mindset it was always that it was the two of them throughout that entire three-year stretch. When really it wasn't. So uh, once again, not knowing as much as I thought I did, I, d- I had to dive back in and look at it. And like you said, the numbers for one were different than the numbers for the other. But then you look at careers and it flipped maybe. And it, it was a very interesting dynamic and a very interesting. Uh, matchup and like you said you couldn't go wrong either way one thing i wanted to happen with a with a bracket of our own that i think has happened is that it's allowed me and hopefully a lot of you listeners as well to like delve into history you know a little bit you know research some of these players go in and compare like a glenn hall to a jock plant and you know maybe kind of get to know some of the lore of the team that you support a lot more uh you know i, I hope that would happen i think today's uh bracket you know that that we unveiled the uh before brett hall forwards you're gonna have to do some diving on this one to you know really kind of get a feel for these players and uh because i mean for one i mean they you know all these players that we're talking about had their best years either when we were being born wags or right or before then so 
Uh, this this it, it's a fun research project, and I think as these brackets go on, and I think as these matchups get better, it's going to be even more interesting to really split hairs here because. Like in the goalie bracket, for instance, the next round you're gonna have Jordan Bennington taking on Glenn Hall, uh, and it's and and that now we're if you decided to vote for Glenn Hall because you valued long-term history over a short-term success, how are you gonna vote for Jordan Bennington over Glenn Hall then? You know, yeah. it just it, that that's just gonna be an interesting dich- uh, interesting dichotomy when we get to that bracket. Uh, you're gonna have Curtis Joseph against Brian Elliott. I mean. Elliott was a higher seed. He had a, a really good years in St. Louis, but I mean, you, you you weigh that against Curtis Joseph, who has you know kind of legendary status among Blues fans. Um, you know that's gonna be interesting one to compare. I bet you if you look at their numbers, though, their numbers are gonna be a lot closer than you think. I think so too. I th- actually, actually, and I and I misread that. Actually, Elliott's a five. I thought he was. A th- I read that as a three. Uh, but yeah, they're they're very close. I think, uh, I mean, Mike Liute and Jake Allen, I think that one, you know, a lot of people, some people gave Osgood some love against Mike Liute. So I think Liute's still kind of an unknown quantity among Blues fans, uh, whereas I think Blues fans know Jake Allen, for better or worse, you know, depending on your point of view on him. So that's going to be an interesting one. And then you're going to have, I mean, and then the, I think the one that might end up being the lone blowout, uh, nothing against Jaroslav Halak, but Grant Fuhr. I mean, who doesn't finally remember Grant Fuhr's times and, you know, when he was a blue in the 90s. So, um, yeah, it just, we're going to, boi- this is going to boil down to some really interesting matchups here. And I can't wait till we get to uh, the second round and beyond. Oh, it's it's going to be a lot of fun. I mean, like you said, the Bennington Hall matchup is going to be very, very good. Uh, I think Elliot and Joseph will be close on uh, Liute and Allen. I, I think with Liute and Allen, you might see that one be a little bit wider of a gap than you expect. Uh, but I, I really think Allen's going to make a push. Uh, I think people, I think people are finally starting to realize a little bit, at least that he's better than you expect. He's not going to be your franchise goaltender. He's not going to be the one that saves you when you're down, but he's, he's a very, very decent goaltender and his numbers are probably going to be, well, his numbers we already know are better than Leute's were, but you also have to look at the era they played in as well. So you have to kind of compare that as well. Are you going to take what Leute did in his time against who he had to go up against and where he placed in the heart voting versus what Jake Allen has done for the Blues in his time frame? You know, he's going to be, before, before long, he's going to pass Leute for most wins as a Blues goal center. Yeah. So that's interesting connection there for sure. And, oh, Hang on a second. I think we have one of our co-founders, Isha Jerome, coming in. He's got a special word from us. We have a new sponsor here for Blue Notes. Uh, Isha, take it away. This episode of the Blue Notes podcast is sponsored by Manscaped, the best in men's below-the-belt grooming, offering precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. Got a crazy bush? You know if you trim your hedges, your tree stands taller. Have you ever wished she was smoother down there? She probably has too. If you're anything like me and or just not a neurosurgeon with a steady hand, you probably neglect below the belt. Manscaped has us covered. Millions of balls are about to be nick free thanks to Manscaped advanced skin safe technology. Manscaping accidents are finally a thing of the past. Whew. 
One of the coolest features is the LED light, which illuminates growing areas for closer and more precise trimming. That's insane. If you're listening to me speak right now, you're one of the first people to hear about this life-changing product, and I want you to experience it firsthand for yourself. Get 20% off plus free shipping when you use the promo code THPN at manscaped.com. Your balls will thank you. Get 20% off and free shipping again with promo code THPN at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com when you use the promo code THPN. The best in men's below-the-belt grooming. All right, Ish, thanks so much for that message. And yes, it is indeed and very important, you know, especially now more than ever that we take care of ourselves. So uh, thanks to our uh, new uh, partners at Manscaped. All right, we're going to go into our next uh, a bracket of our own region. This is going to take us to the forwards, our first uh, look into the uh, forwards of this uh, tournament so far. We're going to go for the before Brett Hall forwards. And this is basically... It's it's pretty much as I said. These are forwards from the Blues' inception up until 1987-88, when the Blues acquired Brett Hall. So um, basically, as I mentioned, this is a uh, bracket that we had to really kind of dig into, research these guys a little bit, and uh, we have sorted them out one through sixteen. Um, go ahead, Al Wags, and uh, run down our first round. Yeah, our first round matchups include the number one seed, Bernie Federko, going up against number 16, Blake Dunlop. Uh, number nine, Perry Turnbell versus number eight, Joe Mullen. Uh, the five twelve matchup features Doug Gilmore against Mark Hunter. Uh, Rick Mahar versus Red Berenson in the 13-4 matchup. And you've got uh, the three seed, Gary Unger, going up against 14 seed, Frank St. Mersai. Uh, Greg Pizlowski, the 11 seed, will take on number six seed Jorgen Pedersen. Uh, Wayne Babich, number seven, taking on Larry Patey as the 10 seed. And finally, Brian Sutter, the second seed, going up against number 15, Chuck Lefley. All right. A lot of names that you know and probably a lot of names that you don't. But we'll try to uh, get you connected with uh, some of these guys here. And uh, we'll start off with our first matchup here. It is number one seeded Bernie Federko taking on the number 16 seeded Blake Dunlop, and we included Dunlop on this. Uh, first of all, I, for one, you know Bernie Federico, hopefully by now. He's a Hall of Famer. Uh, he uh, was basically Mr. St. Louis Blue from when he started in 1976 up until he was traded to Detroit in uh, at the end of the 1988-89 season. Of course, that trade ended up providing the Blues with uh, Adam Oates, so that was in Federico was pretty much at the uh, end of his career. He only played one year in Detroit and then hung him up. Um, Dunlop uh, was a guy that he played uh, in the era of Federico. He uh, started off his Blues career in 1979 and 1980. He played for a total of uh, five seasons. Got traded midseason, 83-84 to Detroit. Uh, during his uh, Blues career, Dunlop had 86 goals, 201 points for 287 points. He was a minus four overall, and he had 118 penalty minutes. And his claim to fame with the uh, St. Louis Blues is that he uh, won the Bill Masterton Trophy in 1980-81. Uh, now, what is the Bill Masterton Trophy? 
Well, it's awarded annually to the National Hockey League player who best exemplifies the qualities of perseverance, sportsmanship, and dedication to ice hockey. It is named after Bill Masterson, the only pl- Bill Masterton, rather, the only player in NHL history to die as a direct result of injuries suffered during a game. The winner is selected by a poll of the Professional Hockey Writers Association after each team nominates one player in competition. It's often awarded to a player who has come back from career or even life-threatening illness or injury. So just kind of an example, um, Pat, uh, Pat LaFontaine won in the mid-90s after overcoming head injuries. Jamie McLennan, uh, former Blues goaltender, he actually won it as a Blue in 97-98 after overcoming bacterial meningitis. Uh, Ken Danico won in 1999-2000 after overcoming alcoholism. Um, just kind of, just that's just a taste of kind of an example of who gets these awards. Blake Dunlop uh, won the award for the Blues in 1980-81. Although he was a star in junior hockey, he only broke out during the 1980-81 NHL season. After being drafted during the 1973-74 season, uh, he ended up scoring 20 goals, had 67 assists for 87 points for the Blues, uh, during the 1980-81 season, the Blues nominated him for the Masterton Award, and he was awarded the award basically just for his perseverance, for uh, uh, overcoming a very uh, uh, false start to his career. And uh, he had a couple decent years for the Blues. I mean, he was a point-per-game guy in 80-81 and then 81-82, and I think that was the last of the magic dust that he had. He kind of faded out into obscurity from there, so... Interesting guy, uh, for sure. Uh, not better than Bernie Federico, but I just wanted to share that, and that's kind of why he's in this bracket. Yeah, I mean, you you look at uh, you talk about perseverance. I mean, in the seventy six, seventy seven, and seventy seven, seventy eight years, he only played three games in each of those seasons. Uh, yeah. So that's why you guys, I guess, you can see why they nominated him. You know, he did kind of have to make a a comeback early in his career to even be a, a you know a regular NHL player. Um, so it makes sense why he's in the bracket um, because it's definitely, it was definitely tough finding guys before Brett Hall that would really like pop and go, Hey, there's a reason why these guys need to be in this bracket, but very putting him up against Bernie for Durko. It doesn't matter how much perseverance you're, you're going to have Bernie for Durko is going to be the clear winner in this one. Oh, definitely. Yeah. I mean, and, 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 and the fact that Dunlop's in here, just, I mean, the blues in the seventies were a hot mess. Uh, just, just, just in, in more ways than one financially on the ice. I mean, it, they, they, they just were not very good at all. And, uh, Dunlop came to the blues, by the way, in a trade, uh, with a guy named Rick LaPointe, who was like a depth defenseman in exchange for goaltender, Phil Meyer. Phil Meyer was not in the, uh, a bracket of our own region for goalies because he sucked. And he, uh, in the year that he was traded to Philadelphia, Phil Myers started 39 games. He had a 434 goals against average and an 864 save percentage. Awful numbers even during that time period. So Philadelphia, I guess, was desperate for a goalie, and the Blues were desperate to move on from Phil Meyer, and that's how Blake Dunlop became a Blue. So now you know Blake Dunlop. Um, all this uh, talk about Dunlop and his story of perseverance will probably result in zero votes for Blake Dunlop because he is indeed going up against Bernie Federko. So, yeah, I think Federko wins this one in a pretty easy walk. 
Yeah, very much so. I'd be shocked if he gets less than 100%, to be perfectly honest. I would be shocked as well. It, 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 in fact, actually, just because you mentioned that, some smart Alex is probably going to vote for Dunlop. Oh, yeah. There's always yeah. one. There's always one. Probably an Oilers fan. Exactly. But I, I, I look at Federico and I rate him up there along with like a Bob Plager in terms of his just being a team ambassador. You know, I mean, he's always been he's been a part of the broadcast team for a long time. Just, just a super nice guy. Super oh, nice guy. Incredibly I mean, nice. Very friendly, very approachable. And he just, yeah, he he's wonderful. I expect him to uh, go very deep in this uh, region for sure. So uh, on to the next matchup here. Our next matchup uh, features the number eight seeded Joey Mullen, Hall of Famer, versus number nine seeded Perry Turnbull. Now, I'm gonna I, I'm gonna give you a little trivia here, Wags. Okay. One of these guys was the first overall pick in the NHL draft. The other guy was undrafted. One of them went to the Hall of Fame, the other did not. Would you believe that the first overall pick was the one that did not go to the Hall of Fame? I would be shocked about that, but after doing my research, I'm not as shocked <laughs> as you would expect. <laughs> <laughs> Well, if you've been listening to Blue Notes for a while, you've you've heard Perry Turnbull mentioned uh, a few episodes ago. I think it was around uh, the new year where I actually did a uh, you know trade vortex where I linked Perry Turnbull to eventually Al McGinnis in a series of seven trades the Blues made, and um, and I and I kind of recounted back then. You know, Turnbull was not a bad player at all. I mean, he was, I mean, he, I mean, he was, uh, definitely, a power forward. We'll, we'll, we'll call him that. He was a guy that would rack up anywhere from 120 to, you know, 210 penalty minutes per season, but he was still a 30 goal scorer for the blues. He scored, uh, you know, th- uh, over 30 goals three times. The problem is with, with Perry Turnbull is that it's the same problem that Eric Johnson had when, well, with the St. Louis blues, when you're a first overall pick and you play for the team that picked you first overall, there's always a certain level of expectation that a player has. And if you don't live up to it, um, you're, you're, you're soured upon and then you get jettisoned off somewhere else. Eric Johnson, I think most Avs fans could tell you that they like Eric Johnson. He's, he's a serviceable defenseman for him. He's a, you know, by all accounts, a good teammate, a good leader. They don't have anything bad to say about him in Colorado, but they weren't the ones that picked him first overall. It was the Blues that picked him first overall. And I think Turnbull, you know, kind of, I mean, his career after the Blues wasn't great, but I think he suffered from that a little bit. You know, just that first round, first overall itis, I guess. Oh, yeah. I mean, when you're one of those top draft picks, you're expected to put up points. You're expected to... I wouldn't say save a franchise, but being a number one overall pick, you, you kind of have to save a franchise franchise. Well, I mean, you look at Crosby, you look at Ovechkin, guys that were high draft picks, you know, you have to be able to produce and kind of put a team on your shoulders, essentially, uh, at some point, it doesn't have to be your first year, but eventually you need to be the guy that people look to and lead a team. And that's just not what happened with Perry. No, and 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 keep in mind these uh, these were the Blues of the late seventies who were in desperate need of saving, uh, just in general. So, um, and I don't know if Perry Turnbull was ever going to be that guy. Uh, by the way, just 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 for giggles here, just looking back at that draft, I you know people often wonder, well, if the Blues didn't pick Perry Turnbull, then who could they have picked? 
And I remember this draft not being a particularly good one. Uh, although if you look at the uh, first round, uh, first of all, Rob Ramage was actually, uh, you know, I actually have to correct myself entirely here. Perry Turnbull was a second overall pick. Rob Ramage was the first overall. I actually got them flipped around. Uh, Ramage was the first overall pick of the Rockies. Turnbull was the second overall pick. I That was my bad. I screwed that up. Um, but uh, Will Forjohn, uh, regardless, uh, he was a very... Uh, in the picks that followed, the Red Wings took Mike Felino, who had a good career. Um, I don't think he's a Hall of Famer, though. Uh, Mike Gartner was taken from the Washington Capitals. He was a very good forward in his time. And then you go a few picks for, uh, down the way. You have Rick Vive, <laughs> who was okay. You had Craig Hartsburg, who had a short career. You have some guy named Keith Brown. And then you get to this guy named Ray Bork, uh, who was picked by the Boston Bruins eighth overall that year. So I guess hypothetically you could say that if the Blues had, quote-unquote, reached for Ray Bork, maybe maybe this uh, – this franchise takes a different turn, I guess, if you will. It's um, very possible. I mean, you're also looking down and you got a guy like Brian Propp and a guy like Michel Goulet down even further with the, the Nordiques. I mean, there are a couple of guys that could have made uh, a big time impact on the blues, but yeah, just, just the fact that Raymond Bork was picked at eight, <laughs> it could have uh, changed the franchise. Well, at least it's always good to know that the, you know, you're not the only team that kicks themselves when they pass on a legend. Uh, and one of those teams that was kicking themselves was the Chicago Blackhawks, who picked right before the Bruins. So they, they I mean, they have to be crying pretty badly. Although, uh, although I, I don't care about them. No, uh, but, no, no, uh, no, 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 no. However, I, I, I have had Detroit fans remind me that uh, the Red Wings took Pavel Datsuk one pick after the Blues took some nobody from Sweden, I think. Uh, so. There's always that, but yeah. that's but that but that took was a late round lottery pick. I mean, you know, I mean, you, you, you never, I mean, you never know when those late rounders really take off. So, talk to me about Vladimir Tarasenko. Yes, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Yes, make yourself feel better. So, um, Perry Turnbull, he ended up being traded in uh, 1983 for a former first overall pick, Doug Wickenheiser. That's probably where I got confused. Uh, Gilbert Delorme. And Greg Peslowski, who you will hear later on in this bracket. So, uh, by the way, I think Turnbull actually still lives in the St. Louis area. And I yeah, think I believe he. Uh, I, I want to say he's the uh, Lindawood ice hockey coach as well. I think so. Yeah, and and and, and he was also involved with the St. Louis Vipers roller hockey team, if yeah. I recall. You know what? I think that's what it is now. I think he is. I think he's back with them, even though they're because they're the NRHL yeah. is getting ready to restart after this whole thing is done. I think they canceled their season, but I believe he's going to be the head coach of the Vipers when they do come back. Very nice. Very nice. So there we go. Uh, uh, local legend Perry Turnbull, uh, who is taking on Joe Mullen. Uh, we have a three-time Cup winner, none with the Blues. We have a two-time Lady Bean winner, none with the Blues. <laughs> and then we have a one-time All-Star, I probably not with the Blues. No, it was not. And, of course, he is a Hall of Famer, most notably for his time away from the Blues. Although, you know, Joey Mullen's an interesting guy because... No one team, I think, can really claim him, you know, maybe except Calgary, maybe, as, like, their legend. Because he played a total of 16 years in the league, and he played 
six years in Pittsburgh, five years in St. Louis, five in Calgary, and one in Boston. So he he still moved around, you know, a little bit. So I guess that's that's the one feather in the Blues cap is that like with some other players that we might mention here, Gilmore uh, made their uh, uh, legend elsewhere. Uh, but during his time in St. Louis, uh, Joey Mullen uh, played in 301 games, scored 151 goals, had 184 assists for 335 points. So he was over a point per game guy. Um, definitely a guy that uh, I think the Blues regret moving for sure. I don't think there's a possibility you 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 can say otherwise. He was an undrafted free agent. He was signed. He was found by the Blues uh, out of uh, either juniors or college, and uh, it would have been college, I think, because he he's an American. And uh, he got traded to Calgary with Terry Johnson and Rick Wilson for Eddie Beers, Charles Bourgeois, who became no one, and the uh, not good Cavallini, Gino Cavallini. Of course, we had his brother uh, in the defensive bracket. Gino was fine, but he was not. He's not in our sixty-four, and not, and he was definitely not Joey Mullen. Wags. No, not at all, not at all. And you know, the the thing that's striking to me is, you know, you look at his breakdown. You know, three hundred seventy-nine games with Pittsburgh, three hundred one with the Blues, and three hundred and forty-five with Calgary. So he he pretty much split his time between those three teams. The thing that strikes me is, you know, plus minus isn't a great determiner of of how great a player is. But he was a minus one player with the Blues, a plus 64 with Pittsburgh, and a plus 106 with Calgary. And he only scored two more goals in Pittsburgh than he did with the Blues. And he scored about 40 more in Calgary. But it just shows you, you know, how poor the Blues were as a defensive team when he was here. And it just goes to show you why, you know, the forwards aren't all that, uh, you know, popular or, or, you know, name dropping because the teams were bad. The teams yeah. were very, very, very bad. Uh, and you just see that, you know, his offensive capabilities were there, but he was on such a bad team that he was never really going to get the recognition until he went somewhere else. No, I mean, he still got 40 goals a couple times for the St. Louis Blues in 83, 84, and 84, 85, and playing on a line with uh, Doug Gilmore prob- uh, would have been around that time. Just imagine that. Um, of course, that was before both of our times. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, he he went on to greater glory elsewhere. I mean, he was. I I think you know. I think he, you know, looking at his uh, career, he had his best years in Calgary. Uh, went to Pittsburgh. I think he was kind of considered an afterthought, but he was actually a big part of their uh, early '90s success. I remember playing as Joey Mullen uh, on NHL '94. You know, I always I always played as the Penguins because of because Lemieux and Yager were just deadly. Oh, unstoppable! Uh, and then Mullen was on that team too. So. Um, but so, yeah, we're, we're in terms of, you know, the ultimate deciding factor here is how they did during their time in the blue note and what was their impact? Uh, you know, Joey Mullen, as I said, played five years, had 151 goals, 184 assists for 335 points. He was a minus one Perry Turnbull. On the other hand, he played a total of six years for St. Louis played almost 400 games, 396 he had 139 goals and just 99 assists, and then he had 829 penalty minutes. Um, definitely not a bad player. Uh, de- definitely a different style of player than uh, Joey Mullen was. Um, but again, we're talking high draft pick that never lived up to the potential. And Joey Mullen, I don't think anyone can deny that Joey Mullen was... 
definitely traded away from St. Louis before he should have been. You know, I mean, they, it, but it was, I don't know. I, I think to me, this one's Joey Mullen. I think his numbers are better. I think his impact on the team was better. And I mean, granted, you you can't link Joey Mullen to like a future Hall of Famer in like seven trades like you can't with Perry Turnbull. <laughs> but uh, if, if, if I'm really reaching here, um, but yeah, I, I think this one's probably Joey Mullen. Yeah, I, I agree 100%. I mean, you don't you don't think back and think Joey Mullen blues and, you know, that's the connection you make. But even in the short time, I mean, he was still here five years. Uh, he still made a, a pretty big impact on the team. He was still a, a big-time goal scorer. You know, like you said, he was undrafted. And what he did in his time here in St. Louis and then beyond, if you have to stretch seven trades to, to really make a connection for, for <laughs> a guy, I don't think he's going to win the matchup. So, yeah, I'm with you. I think it's Joey Mullen in this one. All right. Well, we're going to go on to our next matchup now. It's our 5-12 matchup. We have number five, Doug Gilmore taking on number 12, Mark Hunter. Uh, Gilmore, of course, a, uh, all all three of these guys, I think, may have been teammates at some point. Although I think actually Mark Hunter came a little later. Um, but yeah, Doug Gilmore, uh, any hockey fan that knows at least a little bit about history knows Doug Gilmore. All famer, um, was a, uh, legend, uh, for the, uh, Toronto Maple Leafs. They, I mean, they hold him like in like Saint level status in Toronto. Um, he also played five years for St. Louis. People tend to forget about that. Uh, but they were in his early years. Uh, during his time in St. Louis, he had 300. Uh, he played in 384 games, 149 goals, 205 assists for 354 uh, points in total. So it wasn't quite a point per game guy. He was also a uh, minus 12, which again, those were some bad teams that he was playing on uh, during his time in St. Louis. And um, one of those, another one of those guys in Blues history uh, that uh, got away. Although Wags, this guy. I guess if you could, if you want to put yourself back in in 1988, around when around the time that Doug Gilmore was traded, there was some things going around about Gilmore that you almost couldn't blame the Blues for trying to get rid of him. Yeah, I mean it. It, it wasn't uh, wasn't good things that were going around, and no. and even back. I mean nowadays when you when you see. You know, when you hear things like this, um, you, you've got the perception, you've got, uh, you know, social media and all those things and things get around a lot quicker. Um, but even back then, you had to be very, very careful about your public image. And yeah. when when it came down to it, no matter how good of a player you are, uh, if a if a business's public image is going to be tarnished by it, uh, you have to, uh, as a business, have to protect your assets and and that's that's kind of what what kind of came down with this whole situation. So the Blues had to make a decision, and you know you look at his entire career and you go, "Huh, maybe he shouldn't have done it." But at the time, it was it was the it was the decision that needed to be made. And unfortunately for the Blues, it it just didn't work out. Yeah, definitely. And uh, you know I, this 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 is a his his story of how he left the Blues could be something like in an unsolved hockey mysteries, you know, show if there ever was one. Um, you know, they're, 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 I, I read up on his, on, on the circumstances of why the Blues are trying to get rid of him. Something to do with under, underage babysitters it was, was, was the story. Yep. And um, there must have been enough fuel to the fire because there was 
reports that the Blues were like really trying to get rid of him. Like they were pushing him on any team that would take him, but they were kind of being coy about it. They 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 weren't adding that uh, you know. Oh, by the way, this guy may have slept with an underage babysitter. Um, they were you know trying to say, hey, we have this great young center that you can build your team around. You know, we'll we'll give him to you at a discount. It, it's it, it's 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 kind of like a car salesman trying to get rid of a lemon. You know that kind of a thing. Uh, Doug Gilmore definitely was not a lemon, but he had those issues. Um, so I guess they finally find Calgary willing to take him on. Of course the blues and the flames as we have learned in this bracket frequent trade partners uh this the, the, there's a pipeline between st louis and calgary i never knew existed until we started doing this podcast um gilmore gets traded for basically you know you know a couple hockey sticks and a bag of pucks basically um that's what mike bollard craig cox and tim corkery were um also steve bozick was in that trade which uh was also the uh, part of the return. Uh, he came with well, with the Blues for uh, uh, Brett Hall. So, um, yeah, and, and then, of course, after he gets to Calgary, all of a sudden, the charges go away. The allegations go away, the court case is dismissed, and we never hear about it again. And then and he becomes I a just, Hall of Famer. <laughs> and then and then he becomes a legend and no one ever talks about this again. I, I just mm, something something was up there. Something was definitely up there. But regardless, Doug Gilmore became a legend elsewhere. But he had a good 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 run of it in St. Louis. Uh a good player for sure. Mark Hunter, uh, on the other hand, uh, he is probably most famous for being the brother of uh Dale Hunter. Uh, the uh, Capitals player in the 90s that was a uh, noted goon and uh, rabble rouser just in general. And uh, stylistically, uh, his brother Mark was uh, pretty similar. Uh, Mark played three years for the Blues, 218 games played, 112 goals, 94 assists for 206 points, almost a point-per-game guy. He was a minus 15 and in his three years in the Blue Note, he had 474 penalty minutes. And uh, Mark Hunter's time in St. Louis uh, began when he was traded to St. Louis by the Montreal Canadiens with something called Michael Dark. And uh, Montreal's second, third, fifth, and sixth round picks of the 1985 entry draft, one of which became Nelson Emerson, by the way. Uh, for St. Louis's first round pick, who became Jose Carboneau, I think Guy Carboneau's brother, who was not Guy Carboneau in talent, uh, a second round pick, a fourth round pick, a fifth round pick, and a sixth round pick. Uh, so just a big, giant swap of picks. Uh, and, I, and I think Mark Hunter was the prize going to the Blues in exchange for their first round pick. So, uh, And then he ended up going to Calgary with Doug Gilmore for Mike Bullard, Craig Cox, and Tim Corkery. Yeah. yeah. Not good. Um and and you know it's interesting when he was traded because I mean it wasn't like that wasn't like Hunter was damaged goods either. At least I don't think he was facing any allegations. Uh he was still a good player. I mean, in his last year in the Blues, he I mean he scored, you know, thirty two goals at thirty one assists. Um yeah, this 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 matchup you 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 devised wags just is all is is full of all five intrigue here, isn't it? Isn't it? it it's crazy because I mean you look at Hunter and he literally had his 
best stretch of his career in St. Louis. Yeah. And you could you could really make the argument that him leaving St. Louis killed his career because he was going from a 63 to 70 point player. He dropped down to 35, 32. I mean, <laughs> he basically cut his, his points in half after he left St. Louis. So whether he was tied up in, in the whole Doug Gilmore thing or not, you don't know. Uh, but he was, you know, he was having the best stretch of his career with St. Louis. And then all of a sudden he gets traded along with Gilmore for nothing. And it it just it begs more questions and it gives you answers. It really does, uh, it, and it's crazy considering you know when we set this matchup up, that part of it wasn't really in the equation with the matchups. But when you look at it, you're like, oh my gosh, these guys are connected. They you know both were playing very very well. What really precipitated all of this? It's a good question, and uh, yeah, and, and he's one of a few blues in the, in this in this region that. Kind of fell apart after they left the Blues. Dunlop was one of them. And then yep. we have a couple others coming up here that he can say the same about for sure. By the way, Mark Hunter went on to a coaching career. He uh, coached juniors for a while. He was actually most recently the assistant GM in Toronto for the Maple Leafs. He uh, was part of the Lou Lamarillo regime. And then when Lamarillo left and uh, Kyle Dubas took over, uh, Hunter left. So there you go. That's what Mark Hunter is up to nowadays. Um, in terms of their impact on the Blues, I mean, it just, <laughs> they, I mean, both Gilmore and Hunter got traded in the same trade. Um, obviously, Gilmore was the prize of that trade. I think he was the better player during his time in St. Louis. And uh, put it this way, I think we all kick ourselves for the Blues getting rid of Doug Gilmore. Uh, we don't necessarily kick ourselves for the Blues getting rid of Mark Hunter. In yeah, that same vein. So we are going with uh, Doug Gilmore in this matchup here. So uh, moving on uh, to our next matchup, it is the number four seeded Rod uh, Red Berenson taking on number 13 seeded Rick Mahar. And if you've listened to this podcast and listened to any of our historical blues, uh, historical uh, segments, you'll hear the voice of Dan Kelly describing a Red Berenson goal. Uh, Brett Berenson was a one of the first real legends for the Blues, uh, and not just like a rental legend like you know Glenn Hall and Jock Plant were. Uh, Brett Berenson had his best years in St. Louis, and there's zero doubt about it. Um, Berenson played 17 years in the NHL in total, played eight of them in St. Louis in two different stints, had uh, 519 games played as a Blue. 172 goals, 240 assists for 412 points, and he was a minus 57 because he played in some of the uh, pretty awful years uh, for the Blues. Um, but then also, um, he was also, I think, there for like the start of the downfall after the Stanley Cup years. So, uh, But Berenson, uh, he was a very good player in his time, one of the leaders of the Blues He uh, uh, during their uh, Cup years. Uh, or at least uh, their, their expansion years anyway. Uh, he was traded to St. Louis with Barkley Plager for Rod Stewart, or for Ron Stewart, not Rod the singer, <laughs> and uh, Ron Atwell, the two Rons. Uh, he, uh, this was in 1967. A few years later, he was traded to Detroit uh, with Tim Ecclestone for Gary Unger, who we'll hear from in a bit, and Wayne Connolly. So you had like Baron. I mean, Berenson and Unger were kind of like the two original Blues stud forwards. They were traded for each other, which was interesting. 
And then uh, towards the end of his career, he was traded back to St. Louis by Detroit for Phil Roberto and a third round pick. Uh, Berenson, a heck of a player, uh, is actually not in the Hall of Fame, although I, I don't think his numbers really dictate that he's a Hall of Famer. He was just a very solid player for his time. Oh, no question. I mean, you, you look at it, 987 games, just 261 goals, 397 assists total in his career. So like you said, he had his best stint in his career with the Blues in, you know, early in his career. Uh, had the six-goal game. So, I mean, that's his kind of claim to fame, at least, is that six-goal game. He, he is. You know, I, I got to see him at the, uh, the uh, All-Star weekend. Uh, they came in and they played uh, down at Centene. And he's, he's still got it. I'll tell you that much. I mean, he's, you know, obviously he was the coach at Michigan, uh, University of Michigan for a long time. Long very, su- time. very successful there. So a great hockey mind um, and a guy that, you know, to me lives, breathes and bleeds hockey. Um, and, and that's exactly what you want from a blues player. You want someone that embraces the, the, the culture of the game. And, and Red Berenson is a guy that did that and still does. Uh, he, he is, for me, he was my first legend that I knew of outside of who was playing when Brett Hall was here. So Red Berenson is definitely a guy that I kind of gravitated to early in my fandom and love of the Blues. Yeah, uh, and talking about Berenson's coaching career, that's probably what he's probably most known for among the uh, entire hockey community. He uh, started at Michigan in 1984-85. Uh, he actually coached the Blues for a few years uh, from 79 until 82 and then he was canned in 1982 because the Blues in general were bad. Uh, but then he ended up in Michigan a couple years later, and um, he coached from 1984 until 2017. And he amassed a record of 848 wins, 426 losses, and 92 ties during his time at Michigan. And he won the national championship with them twice in the 90s and went to a bunch more Frozen Fours. Just a heck of a hockey mind, uh, Red Berenson was. And I think a lot of players in the Blues back then could have told you that. He was just an incredible mind for hockey. Uh, Rick Mahar is a guy that uh, did not have the fame and accolades that Red Berenson had. Although you hear him fondly mentioned among uh, uh, you know older Blues fans that watched him in the uh, 80s when he was uh, uh, playing at the old barn. This would have been you know, late 80s, so basically from that period between Gilmore and Brett Hull, basically, was kind of his era, was a guy that every year um, when he was a St. Louis Blue, he was at least mentioned in the Selkie conversation. You know, he went from uh, being 11th in the Selkie voting to 19th to 5th to 4th, and then at the uh, ripe young age of 36, becomes a Selkie Award winner in 1989 and 1990. Um, he did play most of his career before Brett Hall arrived, so that's why we put him in the before Hall category. Uh, was not known as an offensive guy at all. He played six years in St. Louis, 413 games, 73 goals, 88 assists for 161 points and 264 penalty minutes. Uh, a guy, Wags, you look at, you can't really like back up his quality with numbers you just look at that one Selkie trophy and be like, okay, he qualifies. I mean, I'm looking at it right now and just looking at past winners of the Selkie, uh, pre and post Mahar winning it. He has the 
absolute lowest goal assist and point total of any selkie winner in the history of the award and it's it's like not even close the next closest guy had uh, had 33 and that was craig ramsey uh or i'm sorry 31 bob ganey in the first year but eight goals 17 assists as plus minus wasn't great either he was just a plus four that year that he won the selkie so uh it was during the time frame that Guy carbono won it in three of us three uh, three years in a six-year span uh, yeah. So it's not it's not like there was a a lack of talent when it came to, you know, two-way forwards and, and best defensive forwards. So it wasn't like he was just, oh, the guy that had the best year. He, there was, a, you know, Guy Carboneau, Dirk Graham, guys that were, you know, people that were making pushes to win this award and guys that won the award multiple times. So he had to have had a heck of a season that year to kind of overtake a, a guy like Carbono to win that award with just 25 points. Well, maybe there was something about, you know, maybe just the lack of options that year, because I mean, this was also a year when you had Brett Hall scoring 72 goals and then you had Wayne Gretzky still, you know, pumping in, you know, just obscene amounts of points. Mario Lemieux was, was taken off that year. Uh, so yeah, it, it may have just been a sign of the times, I guess, but, uh, um, yeah, Mahar won the Selkie and that's nice, but, uh, in my opinion, he's not Red Berenson. So. No, 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 not at all. I think it's yeah. a, it's another one of those easy kind of walkover wins for, for a four seed. Yeah, definitely. So, uh, we'll go ahead and move on to a matchup that, uh, will probably also be a walkover. Uh, number three, Gary Unger taking on number 14, Frank St. Marseille. Oh, and, those luscious locks of Gary Unger. Yes, Gary. And, you know, Gary Unger was an amazing player. And I don't think you realize how amazing he was because he played on some of the absolute worst St. Louis Blues teams. I mean, he, as I mentioned, he was traded for Red Berenson. And Red Berenson got out of there uh, right about the time Scotty Bowman got out of St. Louis and then put the Maloik on the Blues up until the Blues won the Cup last year. Um, you know, they never returned to the Cup after Bowman left. Um, Unger, you know, he played, and really, after after those three first years, the Blues were terrible. The 70s were just an absolute raging dumpster fire for, for the Blues. Just that they were, they, were, they were never great. Um, and really at no time after their last cup appearance really looked threatening. Um, but Gary Unger, he put the team on his back, really. I mean, he was uh, an incredible points producer when he had no support. I mean, he played 662 games for the Blues in nine years, 292 goals, 283 assists for 575 points, he was a minus 113, which just goes to show you how bad his teams were. Yes. Uh, he also had a seven. He also had 744 penalty minutes during his time as well, so he was a uh, aggressive forward for sure. Um, as I mentioned, he came to the Blues from um, uh, Detroit uh, with Wayne Connolly for Red Berenson and Tim Ecclestone. Uh, in October 10th, 1979, he was traded to Atlanta by St. Louis for... Uh, by the way, this was the Atlanta Flames. Uh, this was before they became the Calgary Flames. Um, he was traded to Atlanta for Ed Key, Don Lorenz, and a second-round pick. And 1979, I think this was more about giving Gary Unger... Um, he, he, had, he had fought the good fight for the Blues for a long time, and I think this was giving him a change of scenery, maybe a chance to actually win a trophy. Um, as good as Gary Unger was... He was never an all-star. He never won like any sort of accolades or trophies. He's not an all-star. 
just in in my opinion an anonymous superstar i 100 percent agree i mean you just look at first off you look at his games played he played almost the max amount of games that you could play in a nine-year career with one team i mean uh 78 78 78 80 80 80 80 80 he pretty much played in every single game he had to play in as a blue and once again, kind of avoided injury. He still put in 30-plus goals. Almost every season he was with the Blues, outside of the year he was traded to the Blues, he put up at least 30 goals. Uh, you talk about the fact that he had 744 penalty minutes. It means he wasn't afraid to throw down. He wasn't afraid to be a physical uh, forward as well. So the, the fact that he combined goal-scoring ability with the physicality and the the toughness, he, he really is – you know, I kind of think – he reminds me a lot of Vladimir Tarasenko in a sense. You know, Tarasenko is not going to put up a hundred a hundred penalty minutes, but he is he is a tank for a reason. And Gary Younger kind of to me is the original tank of of the St. Louis Blues. Yeah, he really was. I mean, he he was everything. He was he was uh, he was an Iron Man. He didn't miss a lot of games, and uh, he deserves a lot more accolades than I think he'll ever get, especially as as time goes on. But uh, yeah, he, he takes on a uh, number 14 seeded Frank Marseille, who also had some nice hair as well. He had kind of a nice uh, uh, little, almost like an Elvis kind of a haircut with like a uh, bun- like a like a sh- couple strands of hair going down like the center of his forehead. You know, just kind of, you know, looked like he could be an Elvis impersonator, a French-Canadian one anyway. Hey, you know, you uh, got to do what you got to do to make money. Exactly. In fact, actually, according to his Wikipedia, St. Marseille is a uh, French-Canadian... Finnish and Ojibwa uh, Indian descent. So, interesting. Uh, very, in- very interesting uh, mixture there. Um, Frank Marseille was one of the uh, better forwards for the Blues during their first years. Uh, he uh, played for the Blues uh, from 1967 up until the uh, 71, 70, actually, excuse me, the 72, 73 season, rather. Uh, he came to the Blues as a free agent. Uh, he uh, started his career in St. Louis as a 28-year-old, and according to Wikipedia, uh, he wasn't drafted because he was considered too slow for the big leagues. Uh, he played in the early stages of his career uh, with the Chatham Maroons. He tried out with the Chatham Maroons at the Senior Ontario Hockey Association, made the team. He then played in the International Hockey League, uh, minor league uh, team back then, um, uh, league back then, um, and he was just he was kind of known as just a minor league guy, but yet he was kind of like a minor league superstar. Uh, he uh, he scored 97, 90, and 118 points for a total of 305 points in just 210 games uh, during his time in the International Hockey League, and he had worked his way up through the minors, was coming off the 1967 season with Port Huron uh, when he was named uh, to the All-Star team. And then the Blues, because, uh, you know, the NHL was in the expansion years, there was all of a sudden all sorts of opportunities for the Frank Marseilles of the world to get an opportunity uh, with these six brand new teams. And so uh, someone from the Blues noticed Frank Marseille, signed him up, and uh, Frank Marseille, uh, in his uh, six years as a St. Louis Blue, did not replicate the numbers in the minors, but he was still respectable. Uh, 403 games, 86 goals, and 171 assists for 257 points. He was a plus 31 
and had a uh, had 120 penalty minutes. Uh, as I mentioned, his uh, last year was in uh, 1973. He was traded to the Los Angeles Kings uh, as he was getting up there in years at the time. Uh, he was traded for a defenseman named Paul Curtis, who uh, did not do anything of note. So, um, Frank Marseille, I mean, he was not a star. He was not a superstar. Uh, he was a useful forward and a, and a kind of an interesting story uh, of just kind of what the landscape was in the expansion era where you have these like minor league superstars like Mar- St. Marseille getting a chance in the big leagues. Oh, yeah. And, and you know, one of the things that he really kind of shined in was in the playoffs, uh, 62 games with the Blues, 43 points in those 62 playoff games. Uh, granted, you know, the first three years they you know, made it to the Stanley Cup Finals, but for a guy that you know was a superstar in the minor leagues to come up and play not only in the NHL but on a brand new team with a brand new system, going up against you know classic teams like Montreal and Boston to put up the amount of points that he did in that short amount of time. That's kind of why he's in this list. You know, 13 points in 67, 68, 13 points in 69, 70. So he, he really wasn't a, a guy that kind of disappeared in the playoffs. Yeah, and just kind of give you like a modern day comparison. This would be like a guy that's 28 years old and is just lighting up the Southern Professional Hockey League, like for like the Mississippi River Kings or something like that. And then he ends up being on the first line for the Seattle franchise in their first year. That that this is kind of that transition we're talking about here. <laughs> uh, so uh, kind of kind of a good rags to rich riches story that uh, Frank Marseille was, and another one of those guys wags that you know you you mentioned earlier. Uh, it seemed like that there's there's some guys with the Blues that seemed to do really well for the Blues and then got traded, and that was kind of it for their career. I mean, they did not, he, you know, they they he, Frank uh, Frank Saint Marseille when he got traded to Los Angeles, he still played five years for them, was not did not have the numbers that he had with the Blues. Oh, not at all. I mean, just 168 points in 300 games for the Kings, uh, just sharp drop off from. You know the the 400 he played with the Blues 257. It's part of partly going from you know a system that you're used to to a potentially new system. Uh, it's also the the environment that you play in as well. It's it's a lot different. But yeah, I mean these guys, a lot of these guys had success with the Blues, and then for some reason or another, as soon as they get traded somewhere else, they just they just fall off a cliff. And and Saint Marseille was one of those guys. Yep. So. This one, I think, I think this one will be pretty safely for for Gary Younger here. I don't know if there's a lot of Frank Saint Marseille fans that listen to Blue Notes, at least in 2020, anyway. Uh, talking about a guy that had had his best years over 50 years ago, so um, I think I think this one's safely Gary Younger. I 100% agree. I mean, he's another guy that came up here uh, for the All Star Weekend over at Centene and still looked halfway decent. I mean, he looked a little slower than Red did, but uh, he, it was still great seeing Gary Younger <laughs> out on the ice. I'll tell you that much. Definitely, but and a fan favorite among those that were fans back in that era and just know what he meant to that team and and, and the franchise back then. He was like the one light of hope, and he, yes, he had a fantastic head of hair. <laughs> still does, really? Oh yeah, man, still does. does. Probably has more hair than I do. That's he, he was actually he was actually one of the only guys out there on the ice that didn't have a helmet on uh, when he was at Ooh. the uh, at that game, and and it was still blonde and fl- now granted it could have been a wig, who knows. But uh, if it was, it stayed on throughout the entire the entire game. So it's a tough wig, a very tough, tough wig for a tough guy. One hundred percent agreed. All right, our next matchup here is our number six versus the number eleven matchup. It is number six Jorgen Pedersen taking on number eleven Greg Pezlowski. 
We mentioned Pazlowski earlier because he was one of the three players that came back to the St. Louis Blues for uh, Perry Turnbull. Uh, he was uh, a Montreal Canadian at the time, got traded to St. Louis, uh, played in the mid-80s for the Blues. He ended up playing a grand total of six years for the St. Louis Blues. And in that time, he had 109 goals and 99 assists for 208 points in 330 games. He ended up leaving the St. Louis Blues in... Um, he actually had back surgery in uh, November of 1987. He missed most of uh, a lot of 1987-88. And then he was traded to Winnipeg with Montreal's third-round pick, which eventually became Chris Draper uh, in the, uh, the 1989 uh, entry draft for a third-round pick from the Rangers, who became someone named Danny Felsner, and a second-round pick who became a... Uh, journeyman defenseman named Steve Steos. So kind of a nothing burger of a trade there. Uh, but Pazlowski, you know, he was a guy that he was, he didn't have any acclaim whatsoever. He was an undrafted guy. And when he came to St. Louis, he, um, he, he was, he was a surprisingly productive player. And I don't think a lot of people even back then were expecting that. No, not at all. I mean, he, in his time with, uh, with Montreal before that, he had really only produced very, very little. I mean, you're looking at 26 games, one goal, four assists for five points and a minus five yeah. in, in his uh, 26 games. So it's not like he had a track record or anything like that. And being traded for uh, for who he was traded for, which was Turnbull, uh, Turnbull you know, you're, you're basically trading a number two overall pick for somebody that hasn't really done a whole lot in his career yet, but ended up turning out pretty well for Pizlowski. I mean, he had obviously just like some of these other guys, his best stretch of his career with the St. Louis Blues, even in a time period that wasn't necessarily super great for the Blues. So, right. you know, it, it ended up working out pretty well for for the Blues and Pezlowski. Yeah, and, and comparable numbers uh, to what Perry Turnbull was given the yep. Blues. Um, you know, in, in just about the same amount of time, although he wasn't Pezlowski was not a power forward like uh, Turnbull was. Um, definitely, a definite, definite difference there. Um, he's taking on Jorgen Pedersen and another one of those guys that, you know, makes his hay with the blues, has some great years. And then like the moment he leaves St. Louis, he falls off a cliff. Um, but Pedersen was, uh, he played for the blues for five years from 1980 up until, uh, 85, uh, played 365 games, scored 161 goals, had 171 points for 300 and uh, 32 points in his career. He was a plus five. And uh, Pedersen, uh, really kind of one of the first uh, Swedes to make it big in the NHL. Um, and, you know, you, you didn't have a lot of uh, Euro influence back then. Uh, really good player for a short time he was with the Blues Wags. Oh, no question. Like you said, 332 points after he left here, a total of 34 points in the two years following his departure from the blues. Uh, and he's another one of those guys that until you start researching the history of the team, you won't know who Jorgen Pedersen is, but when no. you start, when you start looking at it, you're like, dude, 37, 38, 35 goals in his first three years here, 28 and 23 in his final two. So a little bit of a drop off there, but a guy that played consistently, a guy that was consistent offensively, didn't play terrible defense, but, you know, he once again, not playing on super great teams. 
Uh, but he's a guy that is part of the fabric and the history of the Blues in the mid-80s that kind of got this team a little bit rolling. And, and eventually when Hull got here, that's when everything kind of changed over. But Pedersen was one of those guys that really kind of kept fans involved in the game and involved in the team and made it exciting in a time where it wasn't a great time to be a Blues fan. Oh, definitely for sure. Uh, and Pedersen, by the way, he was known as the handsome Swede by Blues supporters. He also had a fantastic mop of uh, blonde hair. Yes, he did. Uh, good looking guy. I, uh, if I got to say, I can see where the handsome Swede thing came in there. Uh, uh, you know, the successor to Gary Unger in that regard, I guess. Um, but Pedersen, he came over from uh, Vastra Furlunda. Uh, he played uh, there for six years and uh, was basically a point per game uh, uh, guy for them. And then he signed uh, with the uh, Blues. He played on the first line alongside Bernie Federko and Brian Sutter. That so, helps. Imag- so imagine being a rookie uh, in the NHL. You're coming in from Sweden uh, as, you know, how old was he when he, when he started? He was, he was 24 years old. Imagine coming over and saying, okay, you're on the first line next to two future Hall of Famers. How about that? I think that's a, a pretty good combination to put uh, put somebody in, and he took full advantage of it. Yeah, exactly right. And then, yeah, kind of uh, uh, as, as I alluded to, I mean, he played five really good years for the Blues, and then he gets traded to uh, Hartford uh, by St. Louis with Mike Liute. For Mark Johnson and Greg Millen. Boo. Yeah, we know how Millen fared in the last bracket, so. Yeah, and and, and I think Pedersen was traded just simply because, you know, for the same reason Mike Leed was traded, he made too much money. Yep. Harry Ornest, you know, for all the credit that he gets for saving the Blues uh, in the Ralston Purina fallout, which is a whole other saga of itself, um, he was kind of a tightwad. And, and, and Leute was making too much money. I think Pedersen was making too much money. And so he needed to cut costs. And they ended up going for their basically low rent version of themselves. Uh, and, but then, like, after, yeah, but like right after Pedersen leaves St. Louis, he, that's basically it. He doesn't even play. Uh, he plays 23 games in Hartford, 10 points. And then he plays a year in Washington, 47 games, 24 points. And that was, that was kind of it. Yeah, I mean, he went. He ended up going back to Sweden and playing uh, with Forlunda again for a while. Uh, yeah. Never really put up huge numbers. I mean, I think the best thing. I mean, he was in really the Sweden two league at, for the most part. Uh, when he made when he got back into the Sweden one league, he only put up eleven points or twenty four points in his in his two seasons there. So it's not like he you know lost it a little bit here and went back home and and picked it up. Uh, he he pretty much went off a cliff and never yeah. really recovered. But it's, it's funny just kind of looking at some of the comparables, you know, you talk about uh, point shares and all that. One of the guys that uh, in his six year career that jumps to the top of the list is comparable is David Perron, which wow. is really, really kind of funny. So, you know, the fact that Pedersen kind of is comparable to what David Perron's done in his career, kind of, it, it goes back to if the blues are going to cut somebody, you know, I mean, David Perron's year six point share was a 1.3. Pedersen's was a 1.1. Guess what happened the next year? Dropped off completely. <laughs> not to make an argument for cutting David Perron, because I like David no, Perron. No, no. Yeah, let, let, let's not do that if we can. Uh, but yeah, yeah, Jorgen Pedersen, I mean, it, it's and, and I think this is uh, one of those stories where, you know, a guy that's from Europe, you know, there there, there there's comfort issues, like, for like for a lot of American minor leaguers, for instance, they may go to like Sweden or Norway, um, you know, just to earn some more money. Like you, you know, ECHL has some pretty hard salary caps. 
Um, and they don't like playing in Scandinavia and they come back after a year. They're, they're, they're so, and, and that works in the opposite way as well. And I, I, I get the feeling with Pedersen, you know, he liked playing with Sutter. He liked playing with Federico. He liked being a blue and then probably like a Patrick Berglund after he gets traded, all of a sudden he just doesn't like his new surroundings. He got used to the surroundings he was in. And then he goes back to Frolunda, you know, a team that he was familiar with before he came to America. So, you know, so well, and, and it's going from St. Louis to Hartford. Yeah, <laughs> I that's mean, a good point. It's almost like you're going to Delaware. I mean, it's oh. Delaware. <laughs> Sorry, Sorry. Wayne, little Wayne's Sorry. world drop there. Sorry to our Delaware listeners, uh, <laughs> all all none of you. Um, all right, so our next matchup here. Uh, I are think we, are we, we, wait, hold on. Are we picking Pedersen in this one? I think we're picking Pedersen. Okay, in this I one. think yeah. so too. Peslowski was good. Pedersen was very good in his yes. time. So yeah, we'll go with Pedersen. Uh, it's a number seven, number seven Wayne Babich in our next ma- matchup, taking on number ten Larry Patey. Uh, Wayne, th- this is like the one matchup here that I had to do some like real digging on just to kind of find something to talk about. Uh, Wayne Babich is the brother of Dave Babich, who had a uh, long NHL career. Wayne Babich was a former third overall pick of the St. Louis Blues. He was picked the year before Perry Turnbull, and uh, he played six years with the St. Louis Blues. Another solid performer. He had 155 goals, 190 assists for 345 points and 396 games played. He had 384 penalty minutes. And he, uh, as I mentioned, he was drafted by the Blues. And then he was claimed by Pittsburgh in the waiver draft uh, in uh, 1984. So his uh, career in St. Louis came to kind of a uh, disappointing end. And but another guy that once he left St. Louis, uh, he he wasn't long for this league, and no, then he also he also ended up in Hartford. By the way, <laughs> another your, fa- your your favorite place. Yeah, yeah, totally. I'm I'm totally gonna visit Hartford one day, and they're gonna have a a, a statue of the most hated man in Hartford, and that'll be me. Uh, <laughs> hey, it's good to be known for something, though. It's true. That's true. You gotta have some claim to fame. But yeah, I mean, you're talking about Babbage. I mean, look back at his 80-81 season, 40 even strength goals of his 54. Uh, I mean, that's that was his breakout year because other, other than that, he never had more than 19 even strength goals uh, in his career. And, and 80-81 was his year, 54 goals that year. Never really even came close to that mark again, 96 points. Um, and like you said, once he left and went to Pittsburgh, he had a great first year there, 54 points, and then it just dropped off 39, 11, 28 zero. Uh, <laughs> it's, it, it's just amazing the magic that, that – the, the St. Louis area has for some of these guys. Um, I mean, you even talk about some of the, the nowadays players that didn't do much before or after they left St. Louis. There's something about the blues and, and this organization, this town that really kind of brings out the best of the blue collar players. And that's kind of what Wayne Babbage was. He was a blue collar player and it showed here in St. Louis. Yeah, definitely for sure. And then he's going up against Larry Patey, whose uh, claim to fame with the St. Louis blues is that he is the St. Louis Blues all-time leader in shorthanded goals in a single season. In 1980-81, he had eight shorthanded goals uh, for first. In fact, actually, that's actually, I think, the first. Uh, that's like If that's not like top ten in the league, it's got to be close. Uh, but regardless, um, he I think he ended up having a total of, like, what, 22 shorthanded goals with the Blues? I believe so, yeah. Yeah, which which, which is, like, up, like, uh, tops in Blues history, I think, as well. I got I don't have that screen pulled up here. 
But Larry Patey is also, his, his other kind of claim to fame, at least for this bracket, is that, like I said, I had a tough time finding blues forwards in the uh, mid-1970s. And Larry Patey qualifies as a guy that actually was a good blues forward in the 1970s. Um, he started his career in St. Louis in 1975. Uh, he came over uh, from uh, California, the California Seals, as they were starting to peter out. I think they ended up in uh, uh, Cleveland uh, the year afterwards. He was traded to St. Louis for a third-round pick. Uh, the Blues ended up giving that third-round pick back for um, something else. Um, and then in 1984, uh, he actually spent uh, Larry Patey spent spent a while with the St. Louis Blues. He was a uh, he spent nine years for the Blues. In fact, 603 games played, 123 goals, 136 assists for 259 points, uh, 524 penalty minutes. Ended up leaving the Blues in 1984 when he was traded with the rights to someone named Bob Brook for Dave Barr. Uh, I don't know who Dave Barr is. Uh, and I think that at this point, Patey was just uh, up there in years. Um, and his productivity was starting to go down a little bit. But Patey was a guy that, you know, even in the year that he had eight shorthanded goals, he was third in Selkie. year after that, he was sixth in the Selkie. And then he was, uh, uh, he just kind of started to deteriorate from there as a player. But you know, a guy that played for the Blues for nine years and uh, another one of those guys you kind of put in the Rick Mahar class of, you know, known more for his defensive ability. Although he still, he, he has some offensive chops too. Yeah, I mean, scored 22 goals that year. He had the eight shorthanded. And just a, a quick note, uh, the NHL single season record is 13. Okay. Uh, yeah, a guy, guy named Mario Lemalieu. Something oh, like that. Yeah. yeah ma- ma- Super Mario. Gotcha. Yeah, 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 yeah. Something like that. So, yeah, I mean, that's a pretty good name to be, you know, second or third to. Uh, it's pretty good, but yeah, like you said, he never really had like super great offensive capabilities. He was another one of those Iron Man type of players, playing in a ton of games. I mean, he only missed two games in the stretch between '76 and '81. Uh, essentially, played '80, '80, '78, '78, and '80. So he was out there all the time. He was just yeah. like he was just like a Gary Unger, where he played and played and played. His numbers didn't show it, but he was a guy that just went out there and did his business. And, you know, uh, another guy that didn't get a whole lot of recognition for what he did. Yes, he was third in the Selkie. But if you're leading a league with shorthanded goals and you don't win the Selkie, how much does that really say about you? Exactly right. And, you know, I, I, I'm going to be a little controversial here uh, in this matchup between him and Babich. I'm going to go Larry Patey. See, I was thinking the same. I was on the same lines as you. And here's why. In uh, in 1980-81, Wayne Babbage had 54 goals and 42 assists. Great year. I mean, just a phenomenal year. In no year after that, uh, he didn't score any more than 20 goals a season. And you take that 80-81 year away. And you're talking about a guy that has played a little over 300 games for the Blues, has just over 100 goals, and uh, about 150 assists. Uh, Larry Patey uh, would have outperformed, um, or the yeah would have would have probably outperformed Wayne Babbage had not, that had it not been for that one year that yep. where Babbage went off. Patey played for nine years for the Blues. He was a solid performer for a lot of those nine years, and 
you know, and, and not only that, but he's, you know, he's a guy that stayed in, in St. Louis after his career was done. He is now a real estate agent based in Chesterfield. Yeah. And he was also at the All-Star Weekend. He was on the line with Berenson and Unger, which was the highlight of my night was seeing all three of those guys <laughs> on the ice at one time. But and and, and, and what, what, was Babich at the at that game? I think he was as well. I okay. think he was. But do you remember Patey more? Yeah, I do remember. For some reason, Larry Patey's name. I mean, I'll say this. I remember having a Wayne Babbage NHL hockey card. Yeah. I didn't have an, a Larry Patey hockey card, but for some reason, Larry Patey was always a guy that that I remembered his name versus a guy like Wayne Babbage. Wayne Babbage was always a guy that was forgotten to me. And I don't know why, but I was along the same lines as you. I think Larry Patey probably is a guy that can win this matchup. And you know what? I'm looking at uh, Larry Patey's photo on uh, Wikipedia. He He's, also had a fantastic head of hair. I, I mean, I, I mean, I mean, we are we are talking about legends in the male grooming game here. People that Manscaped can be very appreciative of. A great, great sponsor plug there. Yeah, there we go. How about that? <laughs> All right, we're we're going with the upset, Larry Patey over Wayne Babich. Um, and we'll go and move on to our final matchup, which we will not be predicting the upset for, I don't think. No. It's the number two, Brian Sutter, taking on number 15, Chuck Lefley. Uh, Brian Sutter, uh, by the way, not a Hall of Famer. Uh, I was mistaken there. How is uh, that possible? I, that's, that's a good question. Uh, played his entire 12-year career with the St. Louis Blues, he was also a guy, he was a guy that emerged in the late 70s, so I can't really call him like an Unger, Patey, you know, mid-70s, you know, forward. He kind of emerged as, uh, you know, the 70s were winding down to a close and then uh, was a big part of the Blues in the early 80s. Uh, 779 games played, 303 goals, and and uh, 333 assists for 636 points. He was a minus 66 during his time as a Blue but he was also known as a very, 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 very tough forward. 1,786 penalty minutes in his 12 years as a St. Louis Blue. Um, he was mentioned in the heart a couple times. He got as high as six in the heart voting in 1984-85. Uh, was always was mentioned in the Selkie voting a few times. Uh, was uh, also up there for all-stars, but never really kind of to me, and maybe this is why he's not in the Hall of Fame, um, he never... Like is was considered like a truly great player, but as far as like very good players, he's at the top of that list. If that oh, makes sense. Yeah. Well, I mean, you got to remember he was also going up in the times. You know, Gretzky was there, Messier. I mean, guys that were really, really good players and putting up massive points. And he never really put up. I mean, he never put up a hundred point season. Uh, mm-hmm. The most he had was uh, 83 back in 83, 84. So it's not like he ever put up huge. Uh, offensively gifted numbers, but he was super consistent. He was he 30 plus goal scorer for the most part, a couple of 40 goal seasons. He was in that 70 to 80 range when it came to points. And like you said, he was damn physical. 232, yeah. 239, 254 penalty minutes in three consecutive seasons. So this is a guy that people didn't want to go up against because they knew he would just beat the crap out of them, and yet he could still score goals, and he was a guy that could set guys up for goals too. He was just an overall rounded player. He just didn't have the high upside that other guys that played at the same time did, and it's just a shame that he's not in the Hall of Fame because of it. 
It kind of is. And, you know, I thought he may have at least gotten some consideration just for, you know, when you compare, lump in his coaching career uh, with his playing career. I mean, of course, he was Blues coach uh, from 88 to 92, uh, won the Jack Adams Award as NHL's best coach in 1991, um, you know, when he took the the Blues on that run. I think that was the year when Belfour went nuts, you know, after, yes. you know, getting swept. Um, he spent the first 16 years of his adult life uh, with the St. Louis Blues. And then, of course, he went on to uh, become a head coach in Boston, Calgary, Chicago. Um, now I think he's, uh, you know, in, ever since Chicago, he's been kind of coaching down at the junior level a little bit. Um, but Brian Sutter, uh, you know, just just, just what can you, more can you say about him and his impact with the Blues? Of course, and just his impact on hockey as well, because uh, you look at his hockey reference page and uh, his family tree is amazing. Uh, you have brothers Brent Sutter, Daryl Sutter, Dwayne Sutter, Rich Sutter, Ron Sutter. Nephews are Brandon Sutter, Brett Sutter, Brody Sutter, Lucas Sutter, and Riley Sutter. You have so many darn Sutters, and he was probably like the apex of, of, of them all. He was the only one that had his number retired by an NHL team. So his number hangs in the rafters at Enterprise Center. Chuck Luffley, on the other hand, um, after bigging up uh, Brian Sutter, he played five years for the Blues. He was he was one of those mid seventies forwards uh, with Patey and uh, Unger. Um, he played two hundred thirty three games for the Blues, eighty three goals, one hundred four assists for one hundred eighty seven points. A good but short career with the St. Louis Blues, and um, he he was traded to uh, St. Louis from Montreal for a nobody really, and I I don't really know what else you can say about Larry. Uh, 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 Chuck Leffley, except for the one year where when he was 26 years old, he scored 43 goals, had 42 assists for the Blues, and he didn't even have to leave St. Louis, and then his career just collapsed. <laughs> yeah, he did not. Uh, he actually actually had eight shorthanded goals that year as well, so another guy that uh, also had a, a, a former sixth overall pick, by the way. Yeah, so it's just one of those another one of Mystery. those cases where uh, a guy had a had one really good season. And then nothing else really around it. I mean, you said he had 83 goals in his Blues career. Well, 43 of them came in one year. So how yeah. much how much does that really say once again about a guy that you know he had one really good? But it just once again it goes back to how bad those teams in the mid uh, late 70s were. That you know you got one guy that could have one good year, and that's about it. And then everything falls off. I mean, he was a plus 15 that year, and the, the following year he was a minus 15. So it's really another one of those no contest situations where a guy had a really good season in a era where there was not very many good players. And that's kind of why he made the list because you really couldn't find anybody else. Yeah. That this, you had no idea, idea who Chuck Lefley was. None. Uh, even as a listener, you're probably looking him up right now just to make sure we didn't make the name up. <laughs> Uh, that's how bad. That's how bad the Blues were in the '70s, and that's how uh, that's how how far we had to reach uh, here. So yeah, this is Brian Sutter for sure. Like I, I'm looking at comparables and uh, for point shares, and the, I mean Thomas Tomas Hurdle and Jason Zucker are actually comps for Chuck Leffley in his in a nine year span. Uh, Elias Lindholm as well. Yep, or, Elias Lindholm. So you know it's not like but Robert it, but Lang you, was a good player for a while. Uh, Jason look, Zucker, Tyler uh, Arneson. You look at it, year one, he was an 8.4, but then it dropped 
in half in year two and, and kind of gone on from them. It's so just, yeah, what does that say? First off, what does it say about Leffley? But also what does it say about guys like Hurdle and Zucker where, you know, they had one breakout year and then everything else has kind of fallen off after that. So that's, yeah. that's just a little bit about Leffley. Yeah. Chuck Leffley's one for the unsolved hockey mysteries uh, series. That'll uh, hopefully pop up after this bracket is done. Uh, <laughs> but in the meantime, this is Brian Sutter's in a uh, walkover for sure. So yes. Uh, polls for these will start on noon on Monday. We're going to go one at a time, I think. Uh, for Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, we'll do one matchup apiece. And then for Friday and Saturday, we'll do two apiece as well. So uh, 24 hours to vote in each one. Watch at Blue Notes Pod for these uh, polls that are popping up. And uh, get your vote in because for each one, you only have about 24 hours to vote on each one. So spread the word. Get your vote in. It's Democratic. and um, yeah, just make sure to uh, uh, check out our Blue Notes Pod Twitter account. So, any final thoughts, Wags? Uh, once again, it, this is a tough bracket because the amount of knowledge about some of these guys is little, but I think you're going to have some pretty good matchups, and you may have a couple of close uh, votes here as we go along, but tell you what, I cannot wait for the next one. The after hole bracket is going to be phenomenal. Yes, that is going to be our next bracket next week. Names that you remember and adore and uh yeah it's gonna be some i think some interesting matchups for sure yes be so, ready for the 116 let's just put it that way yes yes but we're not gonna say anymore no. I, although i think i think we've teased it already we can we can say it um start thinking about brett hull versus wayne gretzky you can that's start about now. all you got. Yeah, that's all you gotta worry you can start about now yeah so just that's gonna be our 116 matchup next week um Let's. I look forward to the debate on that. But in the meantime, Wags, it's time for us to grab our virtual hockey sticks. Uh, the Goon Line is assembling. Uh, follow us on Twitch at HockeyPodNet. And I'll save uh, our Sunday session on there so you can watch it. And uh, in the meantime, that's going to do it for this episode of Blue Notes. I want to thank you for listening because without you, there's no me, there's no Wags, there is no Hockey Podcast Network. I'm Tom Franklin reminding you to not be a chump and always play to the whistle. Listening to the Hockey Podcast Network on Twitter at HockeyPodNet. New episodes every Monday and Thursday. Download at the HockeyPodcastNetwork.com or wherever you get your podcasts from.